This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, it's Lola here. Happy Monday. And if you are in regional Victoria, you are now officially in step three of four of coming out of lockdown, which is very freeing. And you can kind of feel the hustle and bustle here in Torquay. Um, Things feel kind of exciting again, if that makes sense. Of course, big love to all Melburnians listening to this that would still be in, I think, step two or step one of lockdown, step one of lockdown. Um, Big, big love. I've got a lot of mates and family in Melbourne, so really thinking of you. Today's guest is really inspiring, but I want to call him like a soft, gentle, inspiring kind of fire. His name is Chris Wilson. He is the founder and creator of Yoke Yoga. Uh, There's a studio here in Torquay, but also in Melbourne, and they have a wonderful online studio as well. Chris actually taught me my first ever vinyasa class and he taught me how to become a yoga teacher and mentored me a lot when I was first starting out as a yoga teacher. Even if you're not into yogas, I think you'll get a lot out of this chat. He talks about leaning into fear. He talks about self-trust and he kind of talks about backing yourself, which I love. Uh, Chris is super open. He's real. He's passionate and he's very kind-hearted. So I really hope you get a lot out of this chat with Chris Wilson, founder and creator of Yoke Yoga. Hello and welcome, Chris Wilson, to the pod. I've been pretty excited to get you on this pod. You've been on my dream list for a while now. That's (laughs) nice to hear. Thanks, Lola. We've known each other for a fair while too. We have. How long has it been now? Well, you taught me to teach. You were the first person to teach me to teach yoga. Power living, yep. Was that like 2000 I don't know. Was I it 10 years ago? No, it would, five years ago? It, well, I was 27 right. and I turned 35 in like three weeks. Oh, so that was eight y- years ago. Yeah, yonks right. ago. And I remember, so I remember what got me across the line. So you will not remember. You'll probably laugh when I say this though. I was a Bikram yogi girl. Because I was always about the shred and like the sweat, and I was in yoga for weight loss reasons. Bikram was massive in those days. Oh, I remember. And there was a big but, studio around the corner from from Yoke. Fitzroy and and Yoke um, oh, in South Union Melbourne. when yeah. it was was it called Union Street originally? Union Yoga. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, and I was doing Bikram, and my friend, her name is Festina or Fuzzy. People know her as. Oh yeah. She brought me into your her, yeah. class one. It was like a Tuesday night or so, I don't even know. It was a night class and I'd never done vinyasa before, right. ever. And I did your class and it got to Shavasana and you played uh, Higher Love by James oh. Vince McMorrow. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it was like Tear the – Yeah. And I was like, what have I been missing this whole time? And then I think it was like – I don't know, like three weeks later you were doing a weekend workshop and it was like a or like a one-day weekend thing that was like a three-hour thing and I came to that and, right. and I was kind of like, oh, could I do this course and you pulled me up to the front to like demo or something and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what I, I had no idea what I was doing but I felt very comfy and safe and I felt very empowered after that and then I'm pretty sure soon after I enrolled. To do teacher training with you. Wow. <laughs> I do remember. Actually, I think I actually remember that class with yeah. that, with what's her, what's her name again? Festina. Festina, yeah. But I she's remember. like the, uh, at the time, she should have been on like. The TV and. Like, with, like Channel V and MTV mm. and video hits. That's what she was famous right. for. And she's kind of just cool and got spunk. And I mm. remember we were there and she goes, don't. And I took a photo because. The Union Street, the studio on Union Street is very beautiful. It's got that Balinese thatched roof kind of feel, right? Yeah, 
it was actually made in Japan when we first really bought, like occupied the space. And so the you know how there's like Japanese writing above the door. Yeah, that says. In Japanese, dentist, I think. Really? <laughs> so it's kind of, we, we kept it because it kind of looks, you know, so old school good. and gives it a good flavour. So well, there and then you the go. And, yeah. Well, I remember I took a photo and she was like, don't, don't put it up, don't tag me. And she, she had like crazy weird stalkers and stuff and I was like, oh, my God. So I had to wait like three hours until we were having oh. dinner around the corner at Hunky Dory after yogs that um, I then posted that I was there and that was the beginning of... My love for yoke. Wow. Well, before I know it wasn't called yoke then, but yeah. And then teacher training, my other memory of you. <laughs> yes. This is a fun one. So do you remember it, the power living days very early on you'd get us teaching small kind of like sequences to kind of, I guess, get the fear away from teaching, I'm presuming. You know? Yeah. Or just throw you right into the deep end and <laughs> get the fear up actually, like bring the fear I mean, we we tend to get people teaching right from day one. I remember. It, you know, throws you into that. And it was scary. And I remember I think I kept someone in a plank or something for too long and you walked past and you were like, yeah. lols, just put them in down dog. If you're, ever, if you're ever in trouble, just put them in down dog. And then you got on the mic and I don't know how many people there were. I'm guessing it was like, felt like 60 people, but I don't know how many do teacher trainings. Uh, back in those days we had, a, it was like, you know, Big. 30 or something, 35. Right. So, mm. And you got on the mic and you're like, guys, this is right after Chris has gone, lols, just put them in down dog. you got to show up and suck before you can show up and shine. <laughs> and then I wrote that on my yoga mat and that was like my mantra for my entire yoga teacher training. Uh, so thank you very much for that. <laughs> I love that mantra. That is, I still use that one, you know. It's such a goodie, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so... I have had so much fun researching you. Um, for people that are new to hearing about you, um, owner of two amazing yoga studios, one in Melbs. Well, they're both called Yoke, aren't they? Yoke Yoga. Yep, is that both Yoke, yep. And one in Talks, which is where we're recording this in Torquay. And I guess I'm fascinated about your journey from I going from like being a yogi, right, and someone that consumes yoga and loves yogs to business owner because I feel like the energies are pretty different. Mm. And, you know, when I first decided to make that shift, it wasn't because I wanted to open up a studio. And I, um, I, I even now I still, it's really just all about yoga. But what initially got me into it was that I, was teaching and yoga is something where you explore your own inner experience, your feelings, and I was teaching philosophy and and just trying to work out what the hell this life's all about. And but it felt very me and personal. And I wanted others, other teachers to talk to about it. Um, and I didn't feel there was a teachers community so much in in Melbourne. And where I'd come from when I when I did my teacher training in Canada, there was in Vancouver. Mm. So I wanted to create that that buzz and that teacher's hub, the, mm. the community of teachers where we could get together and, and learn and share. And and that still is really large part of the reason why I think studios are so valuable because it brings teachers together and it's not just look at me, I'm a teacher. It's like let's get together as teachers yeah. and work out how we can best serve the community and grow together and, you know, bounce off each other. It's a collaboration. So that was what really inspired me. But then the business side is definitely, it was a big jolt for me yeah. because I never had that mindset. Um, and then, and you know, I was just basically showing up and sucking for, <laughs> from day to day. <laughs> no. Losing, you know. <laughs> Mind you, I actually did the first fit out. I think it was like 60 grand we did our fit, the first fit out and I did most of it myself really? um, with my mate Dubsy. So I was really just going on a shoestring and then, I learned about business from my dad because he's good at that and and from actually being with Power Living, you know, teaming mm. up with Duncan and those guys. They had a really good business model. So that was helpful to have that structure. 
Totally. Um, it seems like just from what you said then your whole thing is more about being a service to the community as opposed to being like a business mogul. And right. if that's your underlying kind of current, I mean that makes for a pretty healing space, which it feels like what you've created as someone that is a student at both of your studios and has now taught at both of your studios, it feels like it's kind of got that kind of like yeah, kind of like magic healing kind of quality that mm. yoga has the potential to bring. And I read an interview where you described yoga being about, I think it's powerful yoga taught from the heart. Have you mm. said that before? Yeah. I really like that. Mm. I think also, again, as a consumer of this, of your yoga, and I know I'm saying consumer a bit, but I guess that's the truth. I love that there is such a variety in the teachers' hearts and therefore in the styles in which they teach. Mm. And you're often challenged not necessarily always the same way physically, but I, I like um, there's another te- wonderful teacher here also called Chris. I don't know what his last name Chris is. Chris Christo, yeah. And you'll lovely. be in Warrior too for what feels like about 10 years, <laughs> right? And he's like, so what's coming up for you right now? And I'm like, really, mate? <laughs> and it's so nice because you're forced to sit in the shit, basically. Yeah. And I love that's what I love about yogs personally. Now, I want to ask about your teaching because you taught me to te- teach. And mm. I used to, I don't know if you remember this, I used to assist your classes at Power Living once a week. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. And we I did that for 10 weeks. We did it for a while. Yeah. 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 And I, ca- I remember I came into one of your class. I get so excited because I'd assist you and then I'd go and teach two hours later at a different studio because I was a new new beginner teacher. And I get so excited because you'd really inspire and empower me and I'd be like, oh, I can't wait. And I'd get in there and I remember one day I was like, what's the sequence? And you're like, oh, lols, my head's a jungle today. I don't know what's going <laughs> on. And so I'd be there, my Virgo OCD mind would be like, oh, my goodness, what's he going to do? All <laughs> oh, right. Whoops. Sorry. It was a, no. It was awesome because it yeah. really taught me presence, especially doing that assisting. You've got to be so in the moment and in tune. And it was, yeah. I think those assisting you was one of the highlights of my, especially my early yoga career teaching mm. path because it taught me presence so quickly and the joy. And I remember you used to come into classes and you'd be like. G'day, guys. It's Chris. We're going to do some yoga. (laughs) Right? Pretty simple. Yeah. So is it true that for you, yogs, um, your journey started in Byron Bay and you were studying marine science? Is that how it kind of started? How it started actually was um, actually, you know, on that point of I think spontaneity is a big part of you're touching on some really good points there. And Chris brings in that intensity of the class. So yeah. I'll, I'll go back to that. We'll come back yeah. to how we started. But yeah. I just wanted to touch on a couple of those points because yeah. I think I used to teach a lot from that place of that intensity and I love it. You know, it's confrontation and Chris has such compassion and they mm. say confrontation without compassion is abuse. So it feels actually supportive when you – and confrontation is really good, as you say, for bringing us up into that like the uncertainty and the doubts and all the fears and all that sort of stuff comes <laughs> in. It's like, oh, okay, I've got to look at this stuff now, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really helpful. I used to teach a lot from that place, but now more recently it's shifted towards more intuitive teaching, um, which um, I'm not saying one way is better or the other. It's just been the way that the path has has taken me and that um, the structure is really important and we come in with a structure and we use discipline and we use alignment we hold poses, but then at some point let the structure go and let the, the feeling or the intuitive knowing or what's actually happening in this moment start to guide you versus mm. trying to work it out with the head space. You're more moving from the heart. Mm. So that's, I guess that's the way I, my teaching is shifting at the moment. But I got into it more so from that first point of um, coming up against, you know, I, I challenging emotions. I used to have a lot of really intense anxiety. Mm. I mean, just a lot of fear and I, you know, I was kind of high and low a lot in life and I used to party a bit and drink and do all these things and not that I don't, I, I still have a glass of wine and whatnot these days but but it was, um, you know, I was on that roller coaster ride and yoga was 
gave me a space to really look at the inner experience and start to look at emotions. And I remember being in Canada once, I've shared this story a few times on my teacher training and I think a lot of people can relate to this with yoga in that there was through the practice I was able to be with challenging feelings, have them arise in me like what happens when you're in the long warrior too, <laughs> yeah. but not necessarily react to them, not necessarily try and push them away, able yeah. to welcome them in and have mm. them be here. And in that way they didn't have a hold on me as much anymore. Mm. And there was a more of a relationship with emotions and I found that was such a big turning point for me in my life was like, ah, oh, I can have fear but the fear doesn't have to have me. I can have anxiety and I think even though I've been meditating and practising yoga for a while now and as of you but you probably relate to this in that the anxieties and the fears don't go away. They're still there um, but I, I guess through the practice yoga has taught me to more welcome them and meet mm. them and not push them away and have is, that relationship. Is that, oh, I could be wrong here, but shakshin to bear witness, like to stand yeah. witness even in the fire, is that right? To be the witness to experience, yes. That's what we used to say at Power yeah. back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> be the shakshin, the witness. Yeah, But it's good, it's true. Um, and just last year I was doing a teacher training that you co you came and I am. taught on and that was Duncan. more around pranayama and... Yeah, breath control and mm. and is that when you talk about going from that real physical discipline, which is how I learnt from you, uh, to now and 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 now there's like this almost softness and heart space to the way that you teach. Is that where the breath and the meditation is now kind of like at the forefront? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I've got so into breath is because I. I practice, you know, you practice 20 minutes pranayama and you really feel the impact on the mind and the body. It really has a deep impact on the nervous system. For me, that's really beneficial. And totally. I can move through an hour of asana and not, not really, it can take a while. And I've got three kids, so I can be time poor. I just see the, 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 the potency of pranayama practice. So that's why I've got right into it. And it is more of a subtle layer of listening learning to mm. tune into the, the feeling tone of the body with the breath. Mm. It's more of a gentle way to approach this practice. I find breath work and breath, uh, I don't know if control is the right word, please correct me if I'm wrong, I find that much easier to access than flat out I'm going to do Vedic meditation right now. Right. I find that much more challenging. Okay, I've got 20 minutes morning, 20 minutes night. That feels like a real commitment to me but some breath work mm. like the stuff that you taught us at school like last year where you can either elongate your exhales or inhales and you know it, it, I found that a lot easier to access because I think the results feel so fast as well I'm, mm. I'm a very impatient human being and probably a lot a lot further behind you on my spiritual no. <laughs> calm and mellowness and did you tell me before this, what have you got in your backyard, a yurt? Is that what it's called? Got a yurt, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not using it as much as I would like to at the moment. That's, That's the pretty impressive. Yeah, I, you know, I wanted a, a space to practice. I've got three kids, as I said, so yeah. it's nice to be able to get out of the house. And, and dogs practice. and puppies and chooks, is that right? Chooks, yep, three chooks. <laughs> Actually, we've just had a litter of five puppies. Amazing. And two dogs. I mean, we did. it's a big uh, Menagerie. farm. Menagerie, so good. So yeah. is it true you were studying marine science before all this? Because this fascinates me so much. Yeah. I got into marine science, um, uh, environmental science, and then sort of did an honours in marine science. Wow. Probably the same sort of curiosity about what, what this life's all about drove me to get into that. Um and then, you know, I really enjoyed that but I just fell right into yoga and found the, the practice of yoga had uh, just had some depth. It, yeah. I, I think it is a scientific practice, you know. And yeah. there, is, there is a science behind the practice. So that really grabbed me as well to see how when we move the body in this way, mm. how the mind works, how the breath works, you know. The, re the reason why I asked about the marine science stuff is... I had um, 
Blissology on the mm. um, pod. Who yeah, also, yeah, who loves you, by the oh, way. I love him too. <laughs> what a He's also legend. a surfer like you. He's really into marine life. Mm. I, him and I spent like 20 minutes of the podcast talking about my obsession with orca whales and how I want to oh. kayak with them in the wild. And and he then went on and told me about this, how he had this surfing experience with a seal one day. And like, or seal oh, really? Like, yeah, this guy's amazing. I'm a huge, huge fan. But yeah. yeah, and speaks very, very highly of you. And I guess why I found that interesting, I think surfing and nature and biophilia, like the healing power of Mother Nature and yogs, there is a huge synergy and I know you're an avid, avid surfer, am I right? Yes. Love it? it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that, there, that there's, it just to me I think there's something between ocean and the element of nature and yoga. I just think the two and I imagine yogs and especially because you do so much breath work and work on presence, this is going to make you a pretty awesome surfer. Well, or at least enjoy surfing a lot and feel very present when you're surfing. Yeah. Is there a connection or am I? I, I agree. I think so. I mean, I to me, I think all is yoga. Yoga is just a simple inquiry into what, what the hell is happening in this life of ours in every moment, really? you know, on and off the map. And but definitely a byproduct of getting into more the mindfulness practices and even the asana side of things is yep surfing gets more vivid and you know so good. I, I would I would I could I could draw a, a line and say okay perhaps you get more waves when you go, when you do more <laughs> yoga it seems like when you're more switched on and in the right. zone you know you get in that flow state totally. and it's like oh yeah okay you just feel the current of yeah. the ocean more easily clear. Yeah. Have you heard of the free surfer David Rastovich? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I prepared something for you. Oh, I've met him a couple of times. Have lovely. You? Yeah. Lovely oh, guy. I yeah. would have, if I met him, I'd get a bit starstruck. I've watched yeah. a, a fair few surf docos of him, and there's one surf doco uh, of him, and it's called I Surf Because. And I've themed many a yoga classes around this documentary. Right. Because, and I'm going to share with you, this is usually what I do in a yoga class. So um, but the doco is called I Surf Because. It's like a short three-minute, it's on YouTube, I'll send this to you after. Mm. And he said in answering that question, try to explain colour to a blind person and try to explain surfing to someone who's never surfed. They're very similar. You can talk for days but you probably won't ever hit the mark. The inability to describe something is proof that it's amazing and that's good enough for me. I don't need to understand it. You surf because you really, really want to and you're loving it and it's a blessing or you don't surf. I had a feeling mm. you'd like that. I like that, yes. yes. And his heart's in the right place in oh. terms of how he approaches his surfing, you know. I think there's that. There is an element of competition in surfing which is also an epic thing. Yeah. But I know when I get into the zone of judging myself out in the water and I think if you certainly with surfing if you, it, it, there is that. It's it's just about having a good time, you know. That's what I love about it, and catching a wave. And it doesn't matter how good the way, you know. It's just about feeling and getting into it, and yeah. Don't you also think, as human beings, being connected to Mother Nature like that, like surfers can read tides, they can understand. That means if you can read tides, you can probably understand what the moon's doing. Like you're so connected, so much more connected to the earth and Mother Nature. Like to me. By the way, I don't surf. <laughs> I've had one lesson, but yeah. I love being in Sounds the ocean. Sounds like you should get into it. I, think it's <laughs> I, I just, I love being in the ocean. I love being in nature. And yeah. for me, like if I've had a day and I'm not near nature or connected to nature, like it's the middle of winter as we, well, it's the end of winter as we record this and still at sunset I walk down to the beach and put my feet in the ocean nice. every day. Like there's something so Isn't medicinal. that magical? Oh. Yeah, you don't. I don't know what it is, but it, it's it's something so healing about just dipping your toes in the ocean. I don't know, get it walking out, breathing fresh air, and totally yeah, going for surf. It's the same thing, you know, get in the water and oh, yeah. I think I know. need to be a surfer. We should just move to Byron yeah. Bay and just all go it. surf. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I one thing that you haven't done that I'm almost surprised you haven't done. You've done so much amazing stuff, by the way, and we. I think you and I are pretty similar ages. You're like a couple of years older than me, aren't you? Forty. Are you? Yeah. 
oh, great, I feel wonderful right now. <laughs> I'm 34 for like another month. Oh, right, okay. But yeah. um, health retreat have you th- or yoga retreat, have you thought about that? I feel like that is like yeah. part of your dharma or calling. I have thought about it. Good. For many, <laughs> many years and um, <clears throat> I've, look, I've actually gone and looked at sites and <gasps> but I, I don't, I'm not sure if it will happen but it's something that certainly I, I could feel it be, uh, it would be a nice thing to do, you know, to create it. <clears throat> the reason why I wanted to do that was because of some of the incredible retreat spaces I've been to around the world and wanting to create something like that in Australia. It seems like there's such a, uh, well, I think there's already some really good retreat spaces, but nature is so beautiful in Australia. And oh, yeah. Being out amongst my nature and doing retreats is something pretty special about that. Mm. Well, keep me in mind. I'd love to work with you at a retreat. All right. Just put my resume out there while we're recording. Great. <laughs> I think uh, the reason why I feel like one of the reasons why you would suit a retreat so much is this, the way that the spaces at your studios have been created aesthetically, mm. they feel like a retreat. Is the design behind here, has it got to do a little bit with Arabella, your wife? Definitely. It's got a really nice feel to it. You yeah. Know? Did Bells she, is a. Yeah. She's a ex she's designer natural, or designer? Yeah, she's a, she's a fashion designer. <clears throat> she's a creative type. And she's so tuned into the creative, intuition, intuitive knowing. Mm. I've, I've, she'll come in and just move things around and have it feel just comfortable and homely. And yeah, she's got a real eye for color. And Tim, my brother, did the actual architectural design of the folk, spaces. Folk architects. Folk architects. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Did my research. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then Bell's come in and put all the different trinkets around and you know made it look. Because this here, especially Torquay, to me this feels like a mini retreat and I've mm. done one of the classes here, I think it's a Friday night where you do yin and then you eat raw cacao oh, treats nice. after and it feels very, it reminded me of having a little sip of being at a health retreat. Mm. Like it's got that feel about it and I think this totally is like, it feels like it's the first step to having a retreat. It's also really quiet here as well which is nice. And so as opposed to the city studios where there's that background noise. Yeah. And I think a studio builds, um, I was saying this when I, I opened up the Fitzroy studio and it was very green. Every studio goes through this transition. When you practice a lot of yoga in the space, it builds, there's something, there's a feeling that comes into the space like uh, that pulls you into a more of a quietness and it feels, mm. you know, that feeling of comfort and ease. So I think that has been has happened here. I, I, I mean, I'm going to throw this one out, but I would say because of some a lot of the yoga and meditation we're practicing here, I think it it builds that vibe in the space. And in your in one of the yoga rooms, you've got that big circle window that goes out into nature. So as you're practicing, you can be in the Warrior Two for what feels like a very long time, <laughs> but looking out into nature at the same time. And it reminds yeah. me, there's a retreat in Queenstown called Aroha. Uh, have you been there? No, but I remember the first time we chatted about this in Fitzroy. I've been meaning to and I almost ran a retreat there once. Oh, wow. in, but I just haven't got around to doing it. But yeah. Well, that studio space is where the teacher stands at the very front of the class is just glass mm. and you're just looking out over Queenstown Mountains or think Lord of the Rings basically. Yeah. Uh, and it's exactly that combination that you were talking about of like yogs and nature. I mean, it's, it, 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 it would lend itself to just go there and you'll you'll dip into the yoga experience. You right, know? totally. I mean, it makes, it makes it a lot easier, I would say. Can I ask, and you probably have already answered this, but I just want to ask it, when does time stop for you? When does time stop? Okay, that's going to feel different with your meditation practice, so yeah. let me just like put it into that's a, a different good question. Word. So you know when you're doing something you love, and time can just go and you're like, yeah. shit, I've lost three hours. What's that for you? I mean, to me, time stops when thinking quietens because oh, yeah. what happens in the practice of meditation when if thoughts, sometimes I'll ask people to do this. Just notice, um, and this is what I'll often do in my morning meditation, yeah. what, you know the feeling of just being, 
mm. when you've done what you need to do and you're just able to just be. Mm. There's a part of us that's just being and if we rest into, okay, you can do it now, just rest into simply being, thinking starts to quieten and in those moments time doesn't seem to have play a part. But thinking, when thinking comes in, time, it's like, oh, I've got to do that there and this back there and, and time all of a sudden comes alive. Um, so, yeah, timelessness seems to arise when, when resting in meditation or when you know, being and walking or gardening or I think also from what you said, it almost feels like it comes from a sense of just being present in your purpose as well Mm. because time really psychologically is a constraint of our minds. Like we have put this constraint on, I need to have this done by this amount of time, I need to get that done, I need to get, and we kind of like Mm -hmm. layer up all this crap really or unnecessary stuff where it's like, it's beneficial though, isn't it? Because it helps us be- interact with the world. And yeah. but it, the problem is we attach too much meaning to it, and we cling on to it. And that clinging is what causes that. Uh, for me, it feels constrictive. Or totally, I feel like oh, I haven't got enough time. You know, totally. I've seen you answer this question already, but you never know. It's a new day. I'll see. How. Yeah. What would you say if you could sum it up? Is your dharma? So for people that don't know what the word dharma is, yep. go, take it away. Um, our dharma is like our, it's the inherent, um, it's that which pulls us forward in life, you could say. It's our, like uh, it's the energy that drives our actions, you could say. And when we're in alignment with our dharma, things feel in tune and it feels right even though it might not necessarily feel comfortable. And when we're out of alignment with our dharma, um, you know, we might be doing something that, okay, I'm earning a lot of money or I'm doing this, but it's just like something's rubbing me on, up the wrong way. So the question was how what brings me into alignment with dharma? Yes, yes, yeah. totally. But I just made, made you also give a definition of dharma as well. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, all Go good. for it. Go um, for it. Well, certainly listening is one of the main things because without listening I'm stuck in thinking. So for me it's a daily practice of listening and uh, feeling and when, when, when things feel good and feel in tune then that means there's something, okay, this is the right path, this is the way I'm moving. Um, I like it. Yeah. It's a simpler answer than what I thought. For me, I'm like being on a TV set, recording a pod, like I make this list of things that make me feel good right. as opposed to kind of like getting to the heart of it, which you did in one sentence. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, and I think it changes, doesn't it, Dharma? You know, you can have totally. it. But Sankalpa would be our intention and those are really important things to bring in. Like what do I want to fulfil and how is how is my intention going to bring more of more clarity to this inner feeling that's driving me, this dharma. So I'll definitely set intentions and, mm. you know. I've, and I've had and... teachers get you to set a sankalpa at the start of a class. Right. I like that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love how I'm just giving you little bits of feedback along the way <laughs> about classes that I've really loved here. In fact, um, I think it's Nikki that often will be like, guys, let's take a moment. Nikki Hanley who teaches in Melbourne. Yep, she's great. And she'll be like, let's set a sankalpa and mm. I loved it because m- me being uh, a more analytical kind of mind, it, it, it helps me to calm that vritti. It yes. helps me to calm because I've got I've set myself an intention and so the rest of the stuff can wait. Yep. It's a little structure and it gets, yeah. you can think of a sankalpa like the banks of a, a river. So we're going to cruise in this direction, the banks are going to guide us. But I like the idea of having a sankalpa, an intention, and then just sort of letting it go because yeah. it's there in the subconscious and it'll come in when we need it to bring oh, us back. Yeah. But if we're rigid about our sankalpa, it can also um, be destructive or, you know. Totally. So just, yeah. Mm. Question now for people, I get asked this a lot on Instagram. People often say, oh, like I really want to try yoga, I really want to do it but I can't touch my toes, I'm not flexible or I'm scared that I'm not going to be good enough, I'm scared that I'm not going to look the right way. How for someone that's got a bit of fear around dipping their toe in the yoga pond, Mm -hmm. so to speak, um, what would your advice be? 
Um, you know, I used to have a, a script answer for this one back in the day. <laughs> so I was going to go back to the script, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll improv a little bit with this one. <laughs> in that fear is something, there's a deeper longing that it's great to see that there's a longing for people to get into this, this practice of yoga. And I think the longing comes from, um, you know, something, something's amiss here. I, I need to explore this yeah. life a bit more clearly. I need to get into something that's going to bring a sense of clarity. That is that I, I think trusting that and moving forward with that, okay, there's something that's pulling me forward, just trust into that and then let fear come up. Let's not try and push away fear. It's always going to be there and come in. And, I mean, that's part of the practice when you come into a class and you're comparing yourself with others and, you know, um, and you're worried about what, what, what it looks like when I'm trying to touch my toes. I mean, I still have those feelings arising. Yeah. I think they go away. So learning to welcome those in, I would say, rather than push away the fear. I remember because it's a really common question at yoga studios, especially when people are thinking about yoga teacher training. And I remember when Alicia Young was at Power Living because you were both my teachers. You two ran that teacher training. Yep. And someone I remember overhearing at the front of Power Living in Fitzroy oh, I want to do teacher training but I'm not very good at yoga. And she'd be like, Lola, come over here. I just finished my teacher training. And she would say, you know, Anne here is afraid that she's not good enough at yoga. And I was like, don't worry, mate, I still can't do a handstand. And it would just straight away disarm the person and be like, really? Well, I can do one. I'm going to be fine. I'm like, you're going to be totally fine. Yeah. And to this day I still can't do a handstand. To right. this day. <laughs> they're overrated. No, they're great. I had that that impulse to want to do handstands for a while. I think they're good, but once you've done them, I mean, oh, I don't do them as much. But I love so the teacher training that I just did last year with Duncan. Um, Poverty. Yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, he loves going upside down. Mm. This guy loves it. He love if he could spend all day upside down, he'd he'd. And I was the only one. Everyone every day we do about a two and a half to three hour asana practice every single morning. Right. Brutal because he's fire. He teaches yes, fire. Intense. Insanely amazing. Like I've never been so fit in my life as in the middle of that teacher training. But he'd go, all right, guys, time to take your mats to the wall. And I would just be like dreading it. Sometimes <laughs> be doing it crying. Like, and I'd fl- and every time though, I'd try and kick up and I could never kick up even against the wall. And he'd every day he'd always be next to me helping me get up. The nice. Bless his cotton socks. But by the end of it, because he can do all these crazy, flicky, like scorpion to wheels to hand, like mm. Cirque du Soleil style yoga, basically. And he'd st- every time still be beside me when I was just like, I don't want to go upside down today. Yeah. <laughs> I'd still do it. And that's the thing. I think yogs is so much more than doing the great pretzel pose or being able to do a back bend or which is my personal fave. I love a good heart opener. Mm. Um, or like being able to do a handstand. That's like to me that feels like the tip of the iceberg. And I think that that's really what drew me to doing your teacher training because I'd been doing Bikram for two and a half years. I was missing that other bit, like mm. I was missing the the heart, I was missing the, the feeding of the soul and the self-discovery that you kind of keep referring to a little bit and that's what I think the gift of what you teach is and it's it's like a gift to your heart or a discovery of the heart. You know, we run a lot of teacher trainings and I've, I must have run, I don't know how many over the years, but each time at the start we'll ask, why do you get into yoga? And every time, and I'm pretty sure if you ask most people, it's something to like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I love the mindfulness practice or I love the clarity that I get or, you know, I have strong anxiety and yoga gives me a refuge for ease of being or something. You know, there's, there's all, but it's very rarely, oh, I, I, I just want to get fit in the body and, <laughs> and do handstand, you know. And I think, it, it, you know, all teachers will acknowledge that. Duncan Poverty would definitely acknowledge that. He's he's a heartfelt, soulful. You know that's how he practices. But the the asana is a great gateway in. But um, so yeah, it's funny that there is a big focus on it in our practice in our yoga world. But 
there's no doubt there is something deeper pulling us all, I think. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I have one more memory of you and I that I wasn't going to share but I was like, as I sit here, I'm like, there's something so wonderful and honest and open about you that I really admire. And I remember after we graduated at Power Living, you, I think you take a few under your wing. I don't know, it was like a mentorship kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yep. I was one of the ones under your wing. Ah. And we were practising at Union and it was like I think me and three hours, we all had to take turns teaching for like 15 minutes and I had you in Down Dog. I'd probably started I'd 30 seconds in. Do you remember this? I, I think this was one of those um, we used to call them, what were they called? It was like a drilling kind of thing where... Yes, yeah, I remember. I, I, I do. I remember the session. I think I remember the session that you were in. Yeah, and and I put you in, and I was so excited, but I was so nervous because I really looked up to you. You were my favorite teacher. You taught me everything I knew, and I was I was just really lucky. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn so much. So I was so excited, but I was nervous. And I remember I was like, okay, down dog, and I was getting people to like breathe into their feet and whatnot. And this was you and a few other teachers or us students that were training to become teachers. And you said, stop, Lola, I can hear the anxiety in your voice. (laughs) Yeah. And I loved it because it called me out so quickly. And the way you described Chris's classes here, other Chris, you said it with such compassion that I was like, oh, like, and I straight away, it was the best gift because now every time I teach, I check myself mm. and I take a little moment and I'm like, you're actually here to serve, Lola. You're not here to get in your own way. Right. And it was the best lesson. It sounds like a really weird lesson, but it was really nice because it was like this honest compassion that snapped me out of my own ego pretty darn quickly too. I love that. You're here to serve. You're not here to you know, get in your own way. I love that. and That's the trick, right? Yeah. But it, ironically, to sometimes to serve, we have to actually listen to the anxieties and the chatters with honesty just to, because I know when, I, when I'm feeling anxious or nervous about sharing or, you know, even jumping on this podcast, I've been feeling a few little, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like if I try and push them away, then there's just more resistance that comes up. And so in order to be clear, we actually have to also welcome the feelings that are going on inside us. Totally. And I, I put, well, this, this podcast is called Fearlessly Failing. So I love facing the fear, having the courage, learning from the failure. I think that's where the magic is. Mm. That's why I was so interested in to know how you came into like the more business side of the yogs because the two feel like very different skill sets yeah and I feel like they're two different kind of like drives or energies they feel quite Mm. different and so it's so nice that you've been able to pull the two together to offer this service that is yoke you know thanks Lola no thank you okay so we're nearly at the end goes fast I I warned you of that didn't I (laughs) did um what if we fast forward time and I know that's very anti being in the present moment but what if we were to look into a crystal ball? How would Chris Wilson look in five years' time? What would you be doing? Where would you be? Would the retreat maybe be a thing? The, the retreat is an option. Is <laughs> I'm just adding that seed. I'm, I'm I love pranayama meditation and also collaborating with others. You know, that's something I really really love compassionate about doing and so in terms of the yoga world working with other teachers collaborating is something I want to do a lot more of and developing um you know I'm developing an online pranayama meditation teacher training at the moment so that'll be unrolling um and yeah potentially I don't know, working with you on a retreat center. (laughs) Yeah all right let's do it let's do it um also you know how you're saying you're really passionate about pranayama and meditation. When you taught me, I remember you being the king of anatomy. Oh, yes. Is that still is that still a passion? Like when oh. you do teacher trainings, are you still in charge of the anatomy stuff? I think that kind of comes into it. That's the nuts and bolts of uh, asana practice. In the, it's the same thing with a business, you know. You need the structure in order yeah. to create the freedom. So I, I learnt not out of this is effortless. I learned anatomy because... 
I had, I, I felt it was really necessary, you know. It's, it's kind of similar with learning traditional philosophy. But so I, I've, I dove headfirst into anatomy and learned it as much as I could. And now I feel like I've got a good enough hold on anatomy. So I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in subtle body anatomy and, you know. Yeah, gotcha. Pranayama still has an anatomy component. There's certainly a lot of anatomy of the breath, which I'm still learning about. Mm. Oh, wow. I'm learning, I think I mentioned to you on the phone yesterday, I'm studying acting and part of acting is voice school and you literally spend a whole class a week just loosening the jaw. and The jaw. Yeah, because our Australian accent is a tight, closed, locked jaw. Is that right? Very closed off. Sorry, I just covered myself. I'm like very closed off, very restricted, which is why we speak kind of like this, like how you Mm. going, we speak from the nose, we don't really. Whereas if you're doing an American accent, everything's open, it's to the back of the mouth. You have to do all these exercises to open the mouth up, relax the jaw not use it so much, like let it be free and have and the tongue is doing a lot of the work and it's when you do an American accent, it feels very spacious. I've noticed that Americans, and this might be a major generalisation, but one thing I notice is that they're very good at articulating themselves oh, yeah. and, and explaining concepts and I'm like, are these guys just a lot smarter than me? <laughs> and, <they're, laughs> and they speak about their feelings a lot and yeah, they're very comfortable speaking why. about emotion. But when you, before you do an American accent class, because I also trained an American accent, you'll spend five minutes like literally loosening the jaw as part of right. your exercise. And they describe the quality of an American accent as silky, whereas they describe the quality of an Australian accent as quite closed and quite hard. Mm. And it's so interesting. And I remember my voice coach, I walked in, I was like, oh, I love my Australian accent. I don't want to lose it. And he just started laughing and he said, it's the sign of a lazy jaw. Like an Australian accent is such a lazy like jaw and mouth and tongue. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you're going to have to lose it a little bit for us to get the results that you need to have a well-rounded voice. And I was like, man, because voice for me is something that's such an important kind of like part and essence mm. of who you are. Like it's mm. the, one of the ways you, we communicate. But, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by that. That sounds really – I mean, I wonder how that came into being, you know. Or was it to do with, you know, <gasps> colonisation of Australia right. and, and suppression or things like that that caused people to start to tighten up and not want to share or – And think about Australia know. as well. Like Australians, you know, where – and this is, again, this will sound like a general generalisation, but like tall poppy syndromes and yeah. things. You never see Australians like being like, ah. Oh, yeah, you know, like I've done all this stuff, I've written all these books, but, you know, we don't really speak ourselves, yeah. talk ourselves up or cheerlead ourselves or as an American. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, yeah, like I've done all this stuff. Like, yeah. and, and we kind of like, oh, Americans drink their own Kool-Aid, but no, they're just their own kind of cheerleader. Yeah. Very I, interesting. I, I dig that about Me it. Me too. Like, I find that really inspirational. You go over there and you're just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, let's just, let's back ourselves here, you know. I find that really Totally. Encouraging, but it's not just a, 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 a. To me, it seems like it's for everyone as well. You know, you, you go over and do a, done a lot of retreats over there, and everyone's like, "Yeah, you know, supporting you," and you know, yeah, it's love super that. supportive. Super. I've had a few Americans on the podcast, and they're like, "Go, like, go, you good thing," and they're like, yeah. really behind you, and you're like, "Okay." <laughs> um, yeah. I just want to finally. I know I keep saying one more, but this will be the last. I promise. One of the things I love about yoga and I'm always drawn to, especially in a teacher training, is the philosophy. I just mm. And we've touched on it a little bit with like Sankalpa and Dharma today. If you could pinpoint one of your favourite yogic philosophies, what would it be and why? Mm. Well... Okay, well, this is this is a, this is an interesting answer to the question, but one of my favourite philosophy teachers was Krishnamurti, okay. who's a one of the great uh, mystic scholars, one of the greatest yogis of all time, who actually taught my teacher Eric Schiffman. Mm-hmm. But his philosophy was around losing philosophy. In other words, trust your own intuitive understanding but um so to rephrase that is that self-trust is kind of what he talks about which i really dig even though it's not a traditional philosophical topic 
so to speak. It's not like the chakras or dharma or, or whatever. It, um, he, his, his whole idea is around, okay, use those, those vehicles of, of understanding such as dharma, sankalpa, chakras, all these different philosophical um, guidelines that we have, but then don't use them like you're, you're reading a, a roadmap um, and you're just looking at the map the whole time. Start to look up and look at the scenery and feel your own body and start to trust your own experience. That for me it was like a big light bulb. It's like, okay, this body, this mind, this actual now experience is my greatest teacher. Mm, self-trust. Self-trust. Can't yeah. beat it. No. And I think when you talk about as well, when you get on the mat and when you meditate as well, even when we're talking about timelessness, that feels like self-trust too, right? right? Mm. Where you just, and it's also like when you hear people go, I knew it in my gut but I ignored it, that's that. Yes. You know? Yeah, and I think um, there is a push towards, well, I've found a push in my life towards having things figured out, knowing with the mind, Having a, having a logical explanation, all these things which are kind of like, I guess, a, a contraction in my experience versus just trusting feels like a relaxing and a softening. And it feels to me like a movement from being more head-centred to more heart-centred mm-hmm. and that the heart feels more like it's kind of, it's the, it's the, the engine all of a sudden versus relying on the thinking so much. And it feels free as you say that. That feels a lot more freeing to me, yeah. to me in that space. There's no um, controlling anymore. There, mm. Yeah, freedom, yeah, absolutely. In that freedom, it, it not, not constrained by preconception, it's um, just moving from what's feeling truthful in each moment, which, again, aligns with dharma. Ah, mm. oh, love it. What a way to end. Self-trust, trusting Self-trust. yourself. I love yeah. it. Thank you, Chris Wilson. You are an absolute legend. Uh, It's an honour to have you on. And it's just a joy to be in your space, to be honest. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lola. Big love. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm